Today, we're discussing the burden of the Black girl, magic movement. And I think that term or that feeling of burden comes from the notion of Black girl magic is as a Black woman, you have so much to live up to and you have to be highly accomplished in order to be magical, so to speak. But the intent of the Black girl magic, the slogan itself, the creator of the hashtag, Sean Thompson, she never intended this movement to be about accomplishments or, you know, you, you got this type of career or you have this type of degree or you've accomplished this, that, and the other. And that means, you know, you're living in Black girl magic. That was never the intention. She started the movement because of things that she was seeing on social media. For example, she saw how just how Black women were just constantly being degraded in the public sphere. She talked about the Psychology Today article about how it was supposed to be scientifically proven that Black women are the least attractive of all women. She talked about also at that time how she saw how there's this article talking about how Black women are have the most STDs and how Black women are unmarriageable. And she referenced the interviews that Steve Harvey did with single Black women there in Atlanta. The claims that the reason why Serena Williams wins uh, the way that she does is because she's masculine and she has the build of a man. and That's how she's able to win, you know, as a tennis player, because it was a tweet that came out by someone by the name of Rob. I don't know who he is, but he said, um, and I'm quoting, he said, ironic then that the main reason for her success is that she's built like a man. And J.K. Rowling, for those of you who may not know who J.K. Rowling is, she is the author of the Harry Potter novels. And she says, and I quote, she is built like a man. Yeah, my husband looks just like this in a dress. You're an idiot. And she posted pictures that he referred to Serena Williams in the red dress. I don't know if you all remember that. But I think it's important to think, you know, to realize when we talk about the burn of Black girl magic, that the intent of it wasn't to burden Black women with the notion of, oh, you have to be highly accomplished in order to be magical. It was just to uplift Black women, since we were constantly dealing with negative stereotypes and being marginalized, and the movement was co-opted from her by elitist Black women who made it into something else, which is why now it's become a burden. But that wasn't the intent of the movement in the first place, so I don't know if anyone else wants to jump in, jump in on that. I want to jump in on, yeah, so just my overall thought on Black girl magic is, um, especially given your um, explanation of how it came about and its initial goals. Yeah, when I think of it, I don't think of it as an elitist thing. Um, I think of it as, in, in some ways, the more clandestine magic that Black girls slash women um, have all the time that doesn't get celebrated. And even that which gets celebrated, you know? So I think Black women are magical in a myriad of different ways that don't get celebrated, which probably lends itself to, you know, to the initial points that Kashawn Thompson intended when she founded the movement. So, um, you know, like I remember my mom cutting my orange slices in half when she made me breakfast every day as a single mother at the time, you know? So um, that was magical to me as a six-year-old. I remember it, you know, into my late 40s. So there are things that Black women do all the time that nobody celebrates them for that have a huge impact on our diaspora, as well as the things that are more acclaimed, you know? So, yeah, I think the fact that elitist Black women have taken it um, and evolved it into what it is today is natural in some, to some extent, at least in my perception. And then also, yes, there are some negative aspects to it. But, you know, things evolve. Evolution is a natural thing, you know? So 
those who are more outspoken and have a bigger platform will kind of define the social concept of what it is uh, more so than those who have a smaller platform and who may be quietly sitting at home cutting orange slices in half. I appreciate the grounding with the orange slice and Darquan. I, as a Black woman, yeah, who I feel like I came to the movement late in terms of seeing the hashtag and recognizing its, I guess, broad spread appeal. I wonder if it's both and. So I know some of the research that was shared was referred to the article in Elle magazine, which I don't know how important it is. I assume that it has a predominantly white audience. And there was a Black woman in that magazine who talked about the burden, maybe it being exclusive. And so I just wonder if it's both and. Kind of like to Darquan's part, I think that people with a bigger platform are, are people who are more worldly, successful yeah, are going to be looked at as defining what the hashtag means. And then, yeah, the people maybe who, you know, only have 12 followers who are using it because I think uh, Luna Ma shared a picture or a post of someone who was celebrating their wife for holding it down, for being pregnant and keeping the house clean. And I think maybe taking care of the kids and like those things are as important in a community to Darquan's point, like being able to manage your household is as important and significant as like Serena Williams, in my mind, winning tennis championships because it's it's your platform it's your stage and it's magical it's resilient it's getting up and needing to doing what you have to do every day to survive that is what i believe the original point of the hashtag was you know celebrating the resilience of black women in the face of all odds and so whether it's cutting orange slices making the bed in your home winning a national championship those things are all magical in the face of an uphill battle and I think, too, like the point of it, like being a burden, like with the example of the picture with the woman who's pregnant in school and still taking care of her family. Yes, her, what she is doing is magical. But I think the point is with that situation, it being a burden is that we as black women have made to feel that we're obligated to take on so much responsibility and we're not allowed to rest. And if we're not willing or wanting or even able to take on that level of responsibility that you're lazy or you're not doing enough. Like even if you look at social media at the beginning of this pandemic, a lot of black people have been saying, and not just the black women specifically, but just in general, like, oh, well, you need to use this time to build your business or you need to be doing this and you need to be doing that. And if you don't come out a new person and started a new business or done whatever, made some type of huge accomplishment during this time that somehow you're a failure and then other people are coming back and say, you know, this is a traumatic time. What if all you want to do or able to do is just sit back and do nothing? If you want to sit back and do nothing during this time, it's okay. And I think where the burden comes in is that we as black women, we're not allowed to feel like we can have a break. And if you haven't accomplished X, Y, or Z, you're not worthy of respect in the community. So I think that's a good point that you made, Tioff, and it's actually a good segue into a quote here from Alice Walker that I wanted to, to share, and that is, quote, you don't always have to be doing something. You can just be, and that's plenty. So when you talk about, you know, and I saw those same tweets and Facebook posts about this is the time that we can, you know, take those Harvard courses. This is a time where we can launch a podcast. This is a time when we can take on additional work that we weren't thinking of or had the time to do. Yes, on one hand, it it is a great time to be enterprising. And on the other hand, yeah, what if you just need time to rest, right? And so just going back to 
you know, this whole idea of black girls are magic, which was the actual original saying from Miss Thompson, right, that became shortened to hashtag black girl magic. She talks about reading fairy tales as a child and always imagining these, these princesses to look like her. Now, I don't know what books she had, you know, um, we have the Shrine of the Black Madonna here in Atlanta. And yes, those, those fairy tale books in the Shrine of the Black Madonna do look like us. But I don't recall growing up reading fairy tales and, and thinking or seeing me reflected back in those images. So I kind of um, pushed back a little bit in my mind when I, when I read that about Miss Thompson, that she states, oh, I've always imagined us as, as Black women as being magical. That, that's not what showed up for me when I read those stories. I didn't see myself. And so my point here is twofold that you're right. You know, there is this idea that we have to keep doing, you know, going back to the quote, you don't have to do something. You can just be in that's plenty, but that's not what I saw. And growing up in a um, Caribbean household, the proverbial saying, or rather more of the, in, in some ways, disparaging statement is, you know, you got tree jobs, you're a Jamaican. Well, that's what I saw. I, I grew up in a West Indian household where, Culturally, we are the type to take on lots of different roles. We're industrial people. So I, I still struggle with that. I still struggle with allowing myself time to rest and feeling like I have to be the overachiever. That's interesting. Um, both Lunama and Tiaf, just the point about seeing yourself in fairy tales and, and then kind of what you've seen on social media. And so that just makes me think about how we get to define ourselves. Like it's really, I think the issue is with people. So like you have people who transform the meaning of um, a word or a phrase or a hashtag, but we also should get to define things for ourselves. Like I'm not going to make myself feel pressured to live up to someone else's standard, like what is going to work for me? What makes sense for me? So if during this time of quarantine, I feel the need to rest, that's what I'm going to do. And if other people feel it's the time to be productive, and it doesn't mean that I'm not being productive by resting, like resting can help me be more productive. I think it's all in how we define these things. So I think it's a matter of us getting to put in place the boundaries or definitions of these terms or these phrases. So it's really up to the individual and not being concerned about the larger group. And so um, this is, this is why I'm not on social media, (laughs) but that's just something that I think. I think you have a good point who you are within, let's say the movement defines how you see things and how you react to other people's perceptions of you and how you let that shape your self-image. I think people like Serena Williams, she's heard a lot of different things about who she is and what she can do and you know why she does what she does or why she excels at what she does. I think that those who are oftentimes put up there as examples of Black girl magic have a different mentality than many women who have a lesser platform for displaying their magic. And I think they possibly, especially when you're in the public eye, you have a different tolerance for, for feedback about how you do what you do. I think oftentimes they have a quote-unquote thicker skin because everybody in their cousin-in-law has something to say about what you know Serena and Venus have done or anyone who's famous, really. They have a lot of 
critics as well as fans. Uh, I think they perceive their magic in a different way than some people who don't have as much need to develop a tolerance for people's ideas about what they're doing, you know? So, and then I think also they probably have a different way of dealing with those things. So for instance, me, I've been in a bunch of different things where I get a bunch of feedback from people and I've had to develop a thick skin in order to maintain who I am because people will, their opinions will make you consider swaying to and fro constantly, but you have to learn to hear things without necessarily adopting it. I think it was Aristotle or somebody that said, you know, the mark of an intelligent right. person being able to hear somebody entertain other people's ideas without adopting them. You know, but that's therein lies the burden. Therein lies the burden because who's telling the young girls not to adopt this greater than than thou ideal of being, you know, being magical. So therein lies the burden. And as I was sharing, for me, I still wrestle with that. You know, do I rest or do I grind. And so I personally, and I'm, I'm cutting across the board here, but since we were talking Black Girl Magic, but we've got the, we got the fellas on the panel here, I, I want to know in terms of value, what do you, you Darquan and you Idris Helbra as heterosexual males, what do you find magical in the women that you date? Or is magic necessary? Because I don't know if I am to raise a young girl if I'm raising her in the path of be self-sufficient, right? I'm going back to my West Indian upbringing, be self-sufficient, you know, grind, and you can rest later versus being the princess that Ms. Thompson talks about in those fairy tales. So what are you guys looking for? To your point about what we're telling um, little girls, I do some of this work. So working with students, whether they're traditional age or, or not in the college setting, but also with girls in middle school and high school, I talk a lot about, and, and the organization also talks a lot about, you know, them understanding who they want to be and what that looks like and, and having justification for that. So not doing things just because of what you see out there, especially in, in the age of social media for these kids to grow up in, but really having justification for why you're doing something and understanding why you're doing that. Why does that make sense to you? And I'm even bigger on the like what we speak over kids, what we speak over young people, and, and this really should be what we speak over adults as well, but especially kids, because sometimes when you emphasize one thing over another, then then there is deficit in other areas. They only see this one aspect of themselves, and, and, and so that's something that I'm always concerned about, but I, I think it's really about having people understand the why and, and really wrestle with their why, which it sounds like you're doing as well now, Luna Ma, but I, I just wanted to jump in just in the interest of time in case uh, I don't make it to the end of this session. No, that's perfect. I think Helper was about to jump in next. Thanks, Sharma. Yeah, uh, I would jump in here and ask uh, the question to Lunama, why does what men are attracted to matter in terms of how you define yourself? <laughs> You're going to hit me with that one, huh? I'll tell you why. Because, I, I mean, I know T-Off is going to jump in, but it, this, we live in a patriarchal society. Of course it matters. The way I show up at work matters. The way I show up in relationships matter because you all, as the dominant force in this country, we're not even getting on race right now, it matters. So when I grew up, and I won't belabor this point, but when I grew up, it wasn't the men that I was looking up to. It was the women. 
right? And yes. I saw them being self-sufficient women who knew how to get that bag, as they say colloquially, right? Uh -huh. And uh -huh. I understood mm -hmm. that if I wanted to grow up and be able to feed myself, I wasn't going to be able to rely on a man to do it. I was going to rely on my own uh, merit. So it is important because if I want to ensure that I'm able to be, to grow up and be a self-sufficient adult, the, what I was taught, be it directly or indirectly, was you do have to take care of your business. I can't be that princess in the, in the fairy tale and wait for Prince Charming to come along and save me. So that's why it's been important for my identity. Now, Helbera, you bring up a good point. At this age, you know, I'm 22, um, at this age, mm. I'm learning that, you know, I can very well reinvent myself. Dark Juan has said this before, you know, we invent and we reinvent, right? So I'm at, I'm at the precipice now of who am I up to this stage of my life and who can I now redefine myself to be? And we've talked about this on previous episodes, you know, my ideal self growing up, where has it gotten me? Maybe me being self-sufficient is maybe causing some, some, some static in, in the men that I attract. Does that answer your question, Helper? It, it does, but I would just, what you're saying is clear, but I would disagree with it simply because I feel you can definitely be, you know, more diverse in terms of who you are as a person. I think you can take the two, I don't know if the ladies would agree, the top two examples of what air quotes black girl magic are, uh, Michelle Obama, and Beyonce. I think what Barack Obama finds attractive doesn't in any way matter in terms of how Michelle defines herself, at least from what I got from when I watched um, Becoming on Netflix. And then on another spectrum, I think Beyonce represents strength and, you know, black girl magic. However, I think a large part of what she does and, and how she defines herself is based on what Jay-Z likes. So I think it can be on one end or another. It's just the constant is that as long as you are strong in terms of who you truly feel you are as a person and how you want to live your life, the right partner will be attracted into your life. I want to weigh in, Helbra, but you directed this question to me. I disagree politely and lovingly. I was going to say the Beyonce same. Beyonce and both um, Michelle Obama were, were at the top of their respective games. Michelle wasn't working at, and, and no offense to my brothers and sisters working at fast food chains, but she wasn't at a fast food chain. She was in a prestigious program with Barack. Beyonce, for crying out loud, since 15, has been on her game. So don't talk to me, not you help her lovingly, <laughs> but don't talk to me man, <laughs> about, <laughs> about being um, able to just show up the way I want to when those two particular examples that Helper or you listeners may choose are mm -hmm. way out of my league. And I'll leave it there so someone else can weigh in. Thanks for the what, question. What, what has Michelle Obama not had to go through that you had to go through? I don't know. Um, admittedly, I didn't read the Becoming book, nor have I seen the program, but we could break it down on so many different levels. Did she have a father in the home? She did. Um, I know, yeah, she, did. she had a father in the home. Beyonce had a father in the home. Maybe they, they weren't the best fathers. I, I don't know. We can talk about that. But my point is, if we were Michelle to Michelle speaks well her father. Oh, Michelle. Okay, thanks for that, T-Off. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we can start there, you know, in terms of the family nucleus. 
You know, I, this is not something I'm, I'm making my father wrong for, but he wasn't in my household. So I'm trying me, to understand how me, that would shape my life if I did have a two-parent household. There's a difference right there. Absolutely. Let me jump in, let me jump in on this one, because I can think we can bring it together a little bit. So I think this burden of Black girl magic is an innate burden that Black women have in this world now, period. And they've always had it. Black women have always had this burden of doing what they needed to do. And, you know, similarly, you could say Black men have their own burden that's similar. We have to do what we have to do. You know, we're not defined by the other gender. Some people allow that to be the case, but I believe that that is the less empowering way of thinking about yourself. That that sounds good on paper, but that's not reality. I just have to say this, and I don't want to cut across if uh, P-Dubs or Shama want to add to this. But I I hear what you're saying, both of you gentlemen, but the reality is, at least in my experience, especially within the Black community, when a Black woman expresses a desire to be in a relationship, what I often hear from not only just Black women, but from Black men, well, what do you bring to the table? So you can't just be who you are. But the thing about about it is, though, is every person, every single person, black, white, yellow, whatever, throughout the world has a responsibility of being who they are. You can't allow other people to to define who you are. I'm not I'm not I'm not disagreeing that you allow other people to define who you are. But at the end of the day, especially in the black community, when it comes to relationships, especially when it comes to whether or not a black woman is chosen, it's rooted in respectability politics and black women we are often told and you know this is maybe something you can't relate to because you don't hear these things as a black woman but i can i know that i have i can't speak for uh luna ma or shama or p dubs but in my experience you know we are often given the messages that if you are not x y or z or if you don't have these ducks in a row you are not worthy of love how you feel about yourself. Even my mother. But that's a given, but that's a given for everyone. That's, that's it's everyone. not it's not a that's black everyone. woman thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm it's not a stopping. given for everyone. It's a given but, for all people of all genders. If you aren't about anything, we don't want you. No matter what gender you are, right? If I'm a woman, if I'm a man, if you're not about nothing, I don't want you. That's a given for everyone and every race. On on paper, I, I'm just only sharing what I observe. And for me, what I've noticed in my life is that. Black women are expected to bring more to the table than men are. That may not be the case for you all, Idris and Darquan, but this is what I I have seen in my own experience with my eyes. I would agree with Tiaf here, and good point there, Tiaf. Shama? Yeah, I I don't want to leave, but um, (laughs) I'm actually wanting to hear from Tiaf an example, or Lunama an example, because I I am leaning on the side of dark Kwan currently because I, I don't in Let my me. experience I haven't had to show up with anything um right and I, I've actually come across some people who have been like uh, like I, I can't remember the person but I remember the phrase exactly but he said to me like oh you're one of those and I was like what do you mean by that and it was you're one of those independent and I can't remember if you used the black girl magic thing on me, but I was like, what is that? <laughs> I was about to what come in with mean? the, I don't know what artist it is, but I was going to say I-N-D-E-E. I can't spell the word correctly. Yeah, I-N-D-E. I was going to weigh in. Okay. 
Labusi, oh boy. L- let me weigh in. I'm going to give you an example because uh, Helper and Dark One, were, 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 they were coming from my girl T off. So you know I got to lean in on them. Uh, Shama asks for an example in the interest of time before she leaves us. The perfect example is the one that T off mentioned earlier, uh, Tanya TKO's show, right? Where this man is basically celebrating his daughter, Tanya TKO um, um, hashtags it as pregnant black mom praise for working like a mule. You all as black men, not all, but you glorify the fact that black women can, and just to quote this uh, gentleman, my wife is killing it to be nine months pregnant with twins, a five-year-old and working full-time and a full-time student. And guess what? She's still making sure that home is A-OK. That, Shama, is an example. Uh, Exactly. And he's not saying what he's doing to eat her burden. Right. And so in that one, I, I thought what was interesting was that he or whoever this is capitalizes, I, I guess it was the original um, posting, but they capitalize and still making sure home is, I guess, on point. Right. And so there that person is emphasizing something in particular, like he, he's de-emphasizing the idea of the kid, like she's doing all these things. But the biggest thing for this person was and still making sure home is on point. So there are men who are more concerned about like, oh, is she going to cook for me? Is she going to clean for me? Is she going to take care of home? But not not all men exactly. are like this. So I, I don't know if it, it could be a number of things that, that allows you to come across the men who are not um, appreciative uh, or the men who are expecting um, more from Black women. But I, I just I haven't seen it. So I was I was kind of, you know, leaning on the side of Darquan and I guess Helper as well. He was sharing that sentiment. But I, I think that's so interesting. And I'm so disappointed to have to leave. That's uh, okay, Shama. Oh, <laughs> we know people. I know. I really, I'm like, I, I'm like, oh, well, but I'm supporting these young girls in their development so that they can distinguish for themselves yeah. between how they want to use black girl magic. Yeah. yeah well, you you got to go work up. your magic. Yeah. Oh, and gosh. <laughs> and I will pick up. Thank you, Shama. Sh- pick up P Doves. Yeah. So, similar to Shama, I do work with young girls in the community. And even I've had to do my own work on my own self. And just realizing, like, who defines my work for me, you know, like in terms of magic or not, comes from my creator. So for me, starting there, that's and that I'm imbued with inherent worth because I'm made in the image of God. And so for me, Mm. that then informs everything else that I do. And so I I would side if if Darquan and Idris are lobbying for yeah you you define you define your self worth. You know, you know your your self worth doesn't come from your partner that I, I would align myself with that. And, and, I, and I would say, I think there's truth to what Dark One says in terms of every, yeah, everyone's supposed to bring someone to the table. I mean, there are clearly people who are not bringing stuff to the table and, and still end up with people. But, you know, most people, right. if you're looking for a healthy partnership, relationship, whatever you call your coupling, everyone has strengths and weaknesses. And you're praying for someone with, you know, strengths where you're weak or um, more strengths than weaknesses or more strengths than baggage, whatever, you know, whatever the counting the cost looks like. So I think everyone, yeah, is sizing up a partner for what they can contribute to a household. But I will say historically, like if we talk about in America, I think Black women have borne an outsized burden based on their position in society. And yeah, just based on the position, like if we think back to slavery and that Black women were 
not only raising their own children, but also taking care of the master's child, you know, like those, those types mm. of things. I think, you know, if you go back historically, I want to, I want to weigh in on that. I want to weigh so, in on that. Go for it. That's a good point. Yeah. So the burden of being the horse that pulled the cart in the field. And again, we, I don't want to make this man versus women, but men had their own burden back then when they allowed women into the house to take care of their kids, men were out in the field, you know, like we, and it's still, and that's still this, and that's still the same nowadays. Like, and, and historically, men everywhere have carried the burden of moving their families forward. I understand that this conversation is about black girl magic, but we have to keep things in context. Traditionally, worldwide, men have been the breadwinners who have helped to move their households forward. We don't want a biscuit for it. Well, it's just how it's uh, been. That's yeah, I might push now. back. I might push back a little bit. So I think, I mean, so I wasn't living however we're talking about, we're talking about. We're talking about history, though. We're not talking about our opinion. Well, we're talking about statistical no, no. fact. Well, I think that we can skew things. So I think that the division of labor looked different however many years ago, even like we talked, I brought up slavery, but I think of like, let's say the 20s and 40s in the US or even in Jamaica, women were maybe not, they may not be in the field with their farming spouse, but they were refining the produce that's coming, that's coming back but in from the field. But except in slavery, women were in the field working well yeah i mean and and i I, yeah so i i think it can look different but i I guess i would say like my partner and i have talked about the invisible labor of women that sometimes the like headache of plant like there's a lot of particularly if you're holding down the home there's a lot of like invisible labor that you do to make things come out to a finished product that sometimes can just be discounted and not valued as much as like the field work or like if you're a stay-at-home mother and then your husband is working or your partner is working that like that whole like food being on the table, laundry being done, what child rearing that can be devalued, and even though like that's an around the clock job, where most jobs outside the home, there's a cutoff, there's shifts. So I think that's where I think women across ethnicities, but definitely Black women, can feel a burden in terms of I have to get all this stuff done, and I can't complain. Like I think for Black people. The classic song is, I'm not your superwoman, even though, mm. you know, there's a sense that you are supposed to be able to hold it down in every room in the house and out and work and still look fly. And it's like, yep. who can live up to that? And so that's why I think, as Shama said earlier, of just, yeah, defining yourself and um, not counting your worth in like what you produce. Um, and then for me, it's really grounded in God saying, I have worth because he made me and then going from there. Um, and then, you know, and as I pursue my different callings, ambitions, purposes. But men are so not devoid of this, these burdens though. When a man gets home from his nine to five, he's, he doesn't just sit there and do nothing uh-huh. in, in any, any sustainable household. Men have their own after work responsibilities too. What are they? Yeah, what are they? Because, what are so, y'all doing after work? I know most of the women yeah, I know who are yeah, married and yeah, they're yeah. still doing all the household chores, and it's very rare that they have husbands who help them cook or, or, or take yeah, care. Yeah, but you, but y'all, but y'all aren't y'all aren't going out in, in the in the yard again. Y'all aren't you know fixing cars or taking cars to get fixed or cleaning or or doing the lawn. I work. am. Men, I do. Well, men I'm have single, stuff to do around but, the household as well. But well, I'll give you know I don't mean to put my personal business out there, but I'll use my mom as an example because I'm I'm single and I do change my own tires and things like that. Yeah. But we, we can't um, we can't argue from the point of anomalies though in these statements. We ha- we want to try to find am a central I, am point. I an anom- am, am I an anomaly? Am I an anomaly? I don't know. I'm sa- I'm saying that no. if you if you have no one in your life, you do need to 
take on that burden of doing everything for yourself. But most women have social expectations of what men should do within a relationship. They like, do, I'm but a lot, the bags, do I'm gonna a lot of men I'm don't do I'm going to open the doors. I'm going to fix anything that's but, broken. But Tiaf, that's that comes you know. down to what you negotiate. That, that I'm giving true. two I'm snaps just, to Idris for the negotiation. I'm going to weigh in quickly. We are centering this around somewhat, in my view, around dating. And here's the thing. When we talk about the burden of the Black Girl Magic movement, um, in my opinion, it far supersedes just the dating arena. There are several arenas. So, you know, a couple things I wanted to touch on is how this shows up, not just in dating, but in the workplace or school, at home, which we've been talking about, as well as personal accountability. So we've talked a little bit about the home. I'm not going to go toe-to-toe with uh, Dark One and Idris Helber because my birthday's coming up and I want a gift. But what I will say <laughs> is that um, in the home, I don't care what you all are saying as the, as the men of this panel that you all are doing. I'm routing us back to the idea that a woman is still out there working and expected to look at her dependents, whether they're elderly parents, siblings, and even partners. We are expected, Black Girl Magic, to be emotionally available for you all and sometimes financially supportive and available for you all. And so that's just the home domain. But let's talk about the workplace. Wait, I'm sorry, I, um, can, I, can I just, I don't mean to cut across, but I just have to add, because like, yeah. I mean, it has been, you know, there's been studies that have shown that when it comes to couples and doing household chores, the child rearing duties that the men do not help. I was just reading a story a couple of weeks ago about a woman who, because of the pandemic, she, you know, had to teach her, you know, be at home with her child because like she ran a business and she had to pretty much close her business and fire some of her employees because her husband, who she had this child with, refuse to take care of the child so that she can run her business. And this is common. This is not rare. I would agree to y'all. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just, I agree. Definitely in the home domain, but I want to tease out from the other panelists. And I saw that exact article you're referring to. I want to tease out for the panelists though, other domains in which we as black women have to show up as magical. One of the questions I'm going to pose to the panelists is, does the black girl allow herself to fail? Right. And one of the things that come to mind, many of you have heard me share this. One of my friends who's a vet, very successful, beautiful woman. She's not married and she doesn't have children, but she's talked about this idea of my biggest mistake was being afraid of making my biggest mistake. Right. And so when we talk about personal accountability, does the black girl or woman allow herself to fail? Because I see all too often where we're expected to succeed, and hence the uh, trope, the overachiever. So that's my question to the panel. You know, is the Black girl allowed to fail? And in that vein, are we then allowed to be vulnerable in relationships and in life in general? Because I don't want to be considered a Black superwoman. I know that I have I know that I have qualities that could be um, improved. I know that I have personal failings in the performance domain, but do we allow the Black woman to fail in the performance domain, and do we allow her to be vulnerable? I would say no, but I think that no one is allowed to fail. We're not a world that is in, you know, endears ourselves to people who fail. No one, is, no one is allowed to fail. No one appreciates your failure. They appreciate your successes, and I think that's a natural thing. And I think that 
you know, wanting to be allowed to fail, I really wonder, why do we need to be allowed to fail? We, if anything, we need to be supported in succeeding. You know, that, that should be more primary to me. So I don't think anyone celebrates people failing, failing to launch or any of that. You know, um, it's no different in our diaspora than anywhere else in the world. People appreciate people who succeed. And that is what we are all aimed towards. There's nothing disproportionately, you know, different about our diaspora than anyone else's. No one appreciates a failure. So we all pattern ourselves towards succeeding, you know, and we all have that burden. All genders, all races. We all have the burden of being successful, leaving something behind us for what we did. You know, vulnerability is, it, there is a value to it. There is an innate value to just being who you are. However it lands, it lands. You know, if you fail, we should support you in getting back on your horse and working towards succeeding. But we should not necessarily be looking to make failure something that's tolerable, especially within our community, because we're behind in the race. We're trying to, you know, catch up and, and get equal, let's say, just in general statement. So that, you know, that this, I think the burden, you know, and, and this is why... It, I initially spoke on this. This is an innate burden, period. You know, this, we have, you know, this is not what this topic is about, but there's black man magic as well. You know, and, and so, and I'm not trying to take anything from this conversation, but we all have a responsibility of being magical. That is, we all have a responsibility of contributing what we can to society and being valuable people to each other. You know, so it's not, I don't really feel like it's any different. Like that, you know, if you're just some dude working at fast food or whatever, you, you know, someone mentioned earlier, nobody thinks you're magical, man or woman. So we uh, all have a burden of magic. We all have a I, burden of doing something special with our lives. I'll leave it at I, that and let somebody respond. I think someone's magical who works at a fast food restaurant. And yeah, I agree I with you. Yeah. I don't. Um, yeah, like someone, I think, actually, yeah, my partner, he's mentioned that he knew a, a man who had like between five and eight kids with the same woman. And, you know, he worked at UPS or FedEx, you know, but was holding it down. But his kids were very like grounded and responsible and well-behaved. And it was like, he's whatever he's doing, however he's like supporting his household, he's doing something right. Cause you know, his kids seem happy and clothed and in their right mind. So yeah, like, I, I don't think your job again should define your worth. And I, your words hit a little hard, Juan, but I, maybe the thing that we would agree on is like defining what success is. So if your success is like, I have to make a certain amount of money per year. I have to have this house and this mm -hmm. job and this car, like that seems really harsh. And I would push back against that. But if your success mm -hmm. is like, I'm mentally and emotially stable, like I have healthy relationships. I and I take care of account. what I create. I'm yeah. sorry, I, I take care yeah. of what I create. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, it's just depending on your definition of success. And so then maybe there is room, there's de yeah, there's room for vulnerability and weakness in that journey to get there so that it doesn't happen overnight. I think work is like such a, that's such a different tangent in terms of like the culture at work, the environments you work on and how, how you show up there. Tangent. Um, no, tangent. I was just, pl I was just <laughs> plugging tangent. <laughs> oh, tangent. Yeah, so um, it's how you're defining your success. So to, to go back to Luna Ma's original question, like can you show up as weak um, or yeah, not just Nick hitting the ball out the park. I think you can in, in safe spaces. And I would hope that whether it's amongst your family or friends or with a partner that you can, like you can say that I don't have it all together. I can't check all the boxes. And a part of the partnership is you, you know, cheering me on despite, like, as uh, Dr. Juan said, like, we don't celebrate failure per se, 
But I was, I was thinking, we do love a good comeback story. Like, I, for some reason, the movie Rudy came to mind. Is that the one with the horse or... I don't know. Just I feel like we all Rudy's the one with the comedy. football player. Yeah, yeah. football okay, player. Sorry, football player. I think he played in the horse movie too. Yeah. So I feel like we love like yeah, like the David and Goliath story for a Bible story. You know, like we love seeing the 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 little guy overcome the odds or you know the Jamaican bobsled team. I think I don't know. Yeah, if that's the biblical narrative that runs through Hollywood films. I don't know if it's universal, but I just yeah, I think there's something about like seeing someone go from humble beginnings. Yeah, and create a legacy. And that's fine, P-Dubs. It's I, I, What I'm out to understand, the inquiry that I'm in, P-Dubs, is not so much about how we can come back from a failure, right? But rather, as Black women, do we allow ourselves to fail? And so when we talk about this burden, I know for me, when I'm in the workplace, I feel it goes back and we've, we've all heard this. We've all heard as people of color that we have to essentially work twice as hard or as the saying goes, you know, yeah, work twice as hard to be equal. Right? And so I'm constantly pushing myself in the workplace. And sometimes I'm, I think my, my overachiever um, behavior, right. Sometimes outstrips my, my physical and sometimes mental well-being. I am so driven to not make a mistake, to not have egg on my face in front of my workmates and my manager that I sometimes put myself at risk, right? Of proper rest or proper, just sometimes I come into the office and I, I'm just going to be you know, transparent. I feel like I feel manic, <laughs> you know, because I'm trying to not fail. But let me do this. Why don't um, Idris, you're going to weigh in. Why don't we just take two minutes and do our wrap up? Idris, your two minutes start now. Okay, so yes, you've all heard my points. I would just like to rephrase a question to Luna Ma. You were trying to flatten the conversation and bring it away from as far as the aspect of relationships. But when you brought up your friend in terms of the question of are we allowed to fail, you prominently brought up the fact that she was unmarried and doesn't have children. So I would ask you, what was the relevance in that? in terms of the conversation about failing. Yeah, I'll bring that up in my wrap-up. Thank you for that. Thanks for calling that out. All right, thank you. I'm finished. I'm happy um, to chime in. I, yeah, I think at the beginning of the conversation, I don't know if I had defined it as a burden. And I do think there is a burden that is unique within the African diaspora um, that, yeah, that looks different for Black men. Yeah, the older I get as a woman, I just feel like we do... We, we have a unique experience in this world, particularly as Black women, because I think we all not only experience our own, but also often carry the load for our Black brothers. And so magic can be a lot to live up to. But I would just, yeah, re-echo what I said before, just that for me, my magic and worth come from my creator. And that grounds me and helps me not to take on kind of the weight of social media's definition of what that hashtag might mean. And so I'm hoping, yeah, for the, you know, the people I influence in my small circle, that they see that and hopefully share that value and are not defined by, you know, worldly expectations of what it means to be magical, but instead are grounded in us inherent dignity and self-worth from the creator. Word. And to kind of segue off that point, I agree 100% that the Black woman has a unique level of responsibility and expectations within our diaspora and the world. I also want to say, though, that the Black man has his own unique 
expectation, set of expectations within the world. Now, some people may not live up to that, but coming from an experience where my dad raised two women, right, who are now out in the world living their lives, and he raised them exactly the way he raised me. So they're both successful and capable of you know, handling their business and have their own unique magic in my mind. My sisters have their own unique magic, and they are different than the popular culture. You know, um, and maybe there's spirituality in their lives that leads them to behave and think differently. But I also want to come back to every person has a opportunity, let's say. And I really feel like there's a cultural expectation beyond even any, you know, just the black culture, but just worldwide culture. There's a cultural expectation of doing something magical, like do something magical and we will celebrate you. You know, so um, there is a burden, but it's a, it's a societal burden in general. There's a burden of doing something valuable to society with your life, you know? So I just, I think the disconnect, like for between like you and I, Dr. Martin, and of course we don't, that's why we're all here. We all have different opinions and different experiences that we can share. So we're not going to always agree, but I think like what you and I were talking about kind of debating a little bit uh, a few minutes ago is that at least for me, I'm the only non-Caribbean person in this discussion. So culturally, there is a difference here. And someone who is African-American, born and raised in America with African-American family with nobody born outside of the U.S., I know for a certainty, at least within the strict African-American culture, that for a lot of Black men, that expectation is not placed on them. It's placed solely on the women. Like, for example, and I've experienced this and other Black women I know growing up have experienced this where the girls are expected to contribute financially to the household and the boys have to do nothing. And this is- I, I, I just don't think, I don't think historically people. and statistically so, that the facts will prove that to be true. Historically, that has not been the case. But it is though. That it, may, it may be but, common. It may be <laughs> common in, in many circumstances, but historically that has not been the case. This is not. No, this isn't a recent phenomenon. Like within the African-American community, there's definitely more expectations that are put on the women that have not been put on the men. And, you know, it's and it's been like this for a long, a very long time. Like it just like I said, this isn't something new with the millennials or the new generation. Black men in the African-American community not carrying their weight has been an issue for a very long time. And so with us again, as African-American women whose culture is not outside the United States, it goes back to that is we do have that respectability politics and we do have that pressure on us as women that's not placed on the men that if you are not a certain way, you're not worthy of being selected for a partner, you don't deserve to have a certain life. But I'll, I'll just finish that up. Thank you, Tioff. Great discussion today. I'll end my wrap up here by just saying I think we really covered all of the the questions I had coming into this session today as far as just what was there for me when I was um, thinking about today's episode. And those questions were, you know, how we show up in the workplace or school, how we show up at home. And I think there was some um, passionate debate about from the men on the panel as far as what they do after work, like Darquan says, or what they do to help keep the household going. And still, I have it that women overall are, are more responsible for the domestic 
duties uh, more so than males. And, you know, if you have a same partner relationship and you're listening to this, um, drop a comment. Let us know how it works in that situation. Um, but I, I just have it from my own personal experience and speaking to colleagues and, and friends and family women have to take on more in the household. Third question that I had was personal accountability. You know, are Black girls and women allowed to fail? And Idris asked, you know, when you mentioned that quote from your friend, the the quote being my biggest mistake was being afraid of making my biggest mistake. Idris um, asked, why did you mention that she's not married and has no kids? And I'm glad you did, Idris. The reason why is because she made that statement based on the fact that she has no kids and has not been married. We were just talking about the fact that, you know, we feel that we are worthy women, right? Women that um, should be eligible to to meet great guys. And I I know your point, Idris, is going to be, what are we negotiating? But for her, um, she decided to be heads down and focus on school and get her education and her doctorate. And she didn't um, make time to date. She didn't make time to romance. And so two other things. The fourth question that I brought to this conversation, what was there for me, does the Black woman allow herself to be vulnerable? You know, this idea that we have to be the strong Black woman. How does that show up in relationships? And then the fifth question um, I had for myself was, what about the average Black girl and woman? And I think I heard varying opinions on that. Um, The male panelists saying, on one hand that, you know, it's okay. If you, if you show up the way you show up, I think Idris and Darkwan both agree, we're good. Well, I'll end with this note since Idris brought up uh, Michelle Obama and Beyonce. I'm gonna, I'm gonna end my two minute wrap up with quotes from Beyonce's Upgrade You song. I'm not gonna sing it, so don't, don't y'all scream. She sings here five, five lines. She says, you need a real woman in your life. That's a good look. Taking care of home and still fly. That's a good look. I can help you build up your account. That's a good look. Better than a hood look, believe me. When you're in the meetings for the meals, you take me just to compliment the deals. Just in those five lines alone, Beyonce toggles between a real woman, and dare I say, black magic woman, taking care of home, but still looking fly, taking me to, to, to secure the deals for the meals, and I'm there to compliment it because I'm probably going to be there looking foxy. So, so much to unpack, but that's my two-minute wrap-up, and that's our time. 